We're going to resume now, as I said earlier, our study through the book of Luke. We finished Luke 11, although I'm going to reflect on uh, the last portion of Luke 11 momentarily, but we are going to do our study beginning in Luke chapter 12, and we're going to jump right into it. So uh, if you're in Luke 12, let's stand for the reading of the word of the Lord, and I will read out loud if you'll follow along silently. Now, as you recall, in Luke 11, uh, Jesus contended with the attorneys, the lawyers, and uh, they sought a way. They vehemently came against him, and they wanted to to wipe him out. And at this point, uh, people are coming to Christ in droves, massive, massive crowds. It says it here. Look, in the meantime, when an innumerable multitude of people had gathered together so that they trampled one another, this is a huge group of people. He began to say to his disciples, first of all, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. For there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have spoken in the dark will be heard in the light, and what you have spoken in the ear in inner rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. And I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins? And not one of them is forgotten before before God. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore. You are far more valuable than many sparrows." And then Jesus says to the crowds, Also I say to you, whoever confesses me before men, him the Son of Man also will confess before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But to him who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven. Now when, you, when they bring you to the synagogue and the magistrates and the authorities, Do not worry about how or what you should answer or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Then one from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brothers to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or an arbiter over you? And he said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. And then he spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then... Whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Lord, we ask your blessing on the study of your word. And God, as we see this picture of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy, and that you say, don't fear the one who can kill the body. We are to have a fear of you, the one who has the power to cast into hell. And Lord, I ask that you would bring clarity to this passage as you lead us into all truth. And Lord, we're grateful. And Holy Spirit, we commit ourselves to you. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, have a seat. Innumerable multitudes of people gathered together so that they trampled one another. This is a massive crowd, massive crowd. And the, the arena or wherever they were gathering was too small to handle it to the point where they were confined and they were trampling one another. And at this moment, Jesus began to say first to his disciples, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. The word leaven in scripture everywhere seen is a depiction, a typology of what we call sin. And, uh, and leaven is yeast. And yeast is what you put into dough. And you leave it, and, and it has these microorganisms that begin to uh, consume. And while they're consuming, they're producing gas. 
And that gas rises and creates all the air pockets in your bread. And so when you're eating the bread going, this is delicious, I just want you to know that's micro, microbial gas. Mmm, sourdough, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's just awesome how that works. And so with this rising, it's, it's air. It has no substance. And, and it takes something that has nutritional value and it expands it so it looks larger, but, but the, the mass of substance hasn't changed. It's just air in the pockets. And Jesus says that sin is, is leaven. It promises so much, but ultimately in the end, it's just puff. There's, there's nothing there of anything significant, no nutritional value, nothing of substance. And he said, leaven is, is sin. And, and you eat unleavened bread, which is a reminder to clean your house of this leaven and, and to, to have your heart steadfast to the Lord. And he says, and I want to equate this leaven of the Pharisees to hypocrisy. And he goes right back to the word that he ended with in chapter 11. But before we get to that, or before we get to 11 and 12, I wanted to give us a refresher course so that we understand. You remember in chapter 11, there were three terms that we looked at. One was integrity. That's where we get the word integer, which means whole number. And, and men and women walking in integrity is that we're aligned with the Lord. Man is a trichotomy, body, soul, and spirit. In the Greek, it's soma, psyche, pneuma. And all of them are aligned. The spirit dictates to the mind what the body will do. And we're operating as a whole creature intended for the way God wanted us to live. That's integrity. The things God desires of our life, we're submitted to and we do. But that's not a constant for us. I've met men and women of integrity, and there are segments of their life, though the exception not the rule, where they, they fall from that integrity. I would say that's true for everyone in the room. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You didn't intend to, you didn't want to, but you did. And if you think that you, you're not in that company, I want you to know that if, if you are in the company of those who have fallen from integrity, you're in great company, the company of the great apostle Paul, who said, those things I want to do, I know are right. I don't do those. And those things I don't want to do, which are wrong, those I do. Oh, wretched man that I am. So he longs to be a, a person of integrity and walking in, in, in oneness as a whole human being. But sadly, what happens in the body of Christ and what's present here, especially behind this wooden stand, is we are men and women of duplicity, just like the Apostle Paul. We have those seasons in our life where we know what we ought to do, but we don't do it. And we have those seasons in life where we know what we, sh we, we, we shouldn't be doing and that we do. And we struggle and we're convicted and, and we, 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 we repent and we realign and we become whole for a season. And then we have sins that easily beset us and we keep a short account with God and the sin becomes the exception, not the rule. We're, not, we're never gonna be sinless, but we will sin less in a sense. And so when people say, you know, I don't go to church because it's filled with hypocrites, I, I wouldn't say that. I would say the church is filled with men and women of duplicity. They're duplicitous. And it's true, they set a standard for themselves that they fail to achieve. That doesn't make them a hypocrite. The definition of a hypocrite is very simple. It's someone who puts on a mask, someone pretending to have an undeserved virtue. And you're lying. And you're, you're virtue signaling. You want people to think you appear to be something you're not. You want people to see this and, and think you're someone you're not. And, and, and you want yourself to be more moral in appearance. But you know in the secrecy of your own life, that's, that's not it. And, and you do this for the sake of protecting your realm. You know what the truth is, but you suppress the truth for a lie in order to protect your own fiefdom, your own kingdom. It says it in Romans chapter one, verses 24 and 25, you suppress the truth for a lie. And, and with this, in suppressing the truth for the, for the protection of, of your fake kingdom, appearing to be virtuous, which you aren't, lying the entire time for the sake of self-preservation, not accountable to God, it puts you in a troublesome position. And this is what Jesus addressed in the previous chapter when he said, woe to you lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge, the key of knowledge, you did not enter in yourselves, and those who were entering in you hindered. Verse 53, the scribes and the Pharisees began to assail him vehemently. They wanted him dead. Verse 54, lying in wait for him and seeking to catch him 
in that they might accuse him. But you see highlighted there the, that they've taken away the key of knowledge. Uh, humanity is locked away in, in a prison. And the ones who should know the truth to set them free, the attorneys, the ones who, who legislate in the realm of morality, right and wrong, what does the law say? How do we govern ourselves? How do we live in common unity? What are the rules that we play by? And now we weaponize the law and now we, we, we are in control and there's no truth in the foundation of many of these laws. I, I'm, I work with the legislature. I remember being in the office of an assembly member and, and their, their statement was, I didn't choose to be gay. I was born this way. And I, and I said to them, I will yield to that statement. I won't argue it. But if you're going to say that, that you were born this way, then how with the same breath can you say that you get to choose what gender you are? Biologically, there are only two genders. This is science. But to state that in this day and age, in this culture, you're finished. You will be crushed. I, I'm probably on the road to that. No, no and I don't, I, I, I'm not playing martyr. I'm just, I, I know the culture at this moment. Young people in the room standing to state something like that in their classroom or in their, their school of higher education, if they're in secondary schools, they will get obliterated to say that there are only two genders. You get to choose this. You get to fluctuate between and then kind of, look, if you want to wear makeup, you want to wear women's clothing and yet you're a biological male, then that's a sexuality issue. It's not a gender issue. But yet we don't dwell in the realm of truth. We don't, we don't have a culture. And if you're in disagreement, we will suppress the truth with a lie. And this this government of 243 years that allows us to debate truth, to come to an understanding, to have a healthy debate in community is no longer accessible. You're only allowed to speak that in a safe area because your words offend me. That's not what the First Amendment says. And they've taken away the key of knowledge. The key of knowledge, weaponizing the law. What is the key of knowledge? What is this key that we speak of? It's found in Proverbs 1.7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. There's, there's, there's two worldviews. There's a creator, and that there's not. There's either absolutes, or there are no absolutes. And we believe this absolutely. <laughs> Putting that in your pocket for later. We're accountable. Three to five million Jews can wander a wilderness for 40 years in the Exodus and yet have no standing army and no police force and dwell together in common unity, community. How? Five commandments at their relationship with God. Second five commandments, relationship with each other. They had a fear of God and they honored man. They didn't steal. They didn't lie because God said don't. They didn't covet because God said don't. They honored the Lord. They had a fear of God. They had knowledge. They had, they had, and and, and this, this, this fear of God gave them knowledge and wisdom. And the scriptures go on and on to declare what we're to do with this, that we're to raise our children in the love and the admonition of the Lord, and we're to do these things. But we're in a day and age now where you make a front-page article because you would have the audacity to avail your facility to allow Christian parents or even non-Christian parents who look at the educational system of California and say it's the antithesis of what I want for my children and I want options and we host that. And somehow that is a violation of the First Amendment. It's not. That's the purpose of the First Amendment. I'm the steward of my child's life. We've done private school, we've done, we've done home school and we've done public school. We gave everyone an option to investigate that. But anyone who participated was going to be ridiculed, was going to be silenced. 
Why don't you come and, and debate and tell us why they should remain in the public schools? We would love to hear this. We would love it if you would take some of the homeschool folks and we'll incorporate them into your school district if you would understand what it is we're looking for. But there's no room for that. And so now we have conflict and we will suppress this. And in doing that, you come to a place where culture is gonna be challenging. And in the writing or the experiencing of Luke chapter 12, Jesus was dealing with the Roman Empire that had its boot on the neck of the known world. He was dealing with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and, and, and government leaders and rulers. And here they, they had a lock on the culture. And Jesus turns to the multitudes but begins with his disciples first and he says to his disciples, with this innumerable multitude of people gathered together so they trampled one another, he said, and he began to say to his disciples, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is this idea that you're suppressing the truth for a lie. And he, and he points out, he says, you can do that, but never forget, there is nothing covered that will not be revealed nor hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have spoken in the dark will be heard in the light, and what you have spoken in the ear in inner rooms will be proclaimed on the rooftops. All things are laid bare before the eyes of God. It doesn't matter if you suppress the truth with a lie and you play whack-a-mole. It's ultimately going to rise. Truth doesn't care if you're an atheist or, or a believer. Truth is truth. Two plus two is four. And I don't care, and neither does two plus two equals four care, whether you feel like that's true or not. Your feelings are irrelevant in relation to truth. It's not subjective. I really feel like it should be three. That doesn't matter. Well, I... I am going, I'm going to have everyone teach this in the schools. Great. But you're going to have a debt, and that debt will come due when all the buildings your students build fall apart because your math is so screwed up. There's truth. And there's a God we're accountable to. Jesus points this out. He says, but I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after he is killed has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. This is a tough one for Christian pastors, me included. The Lord put hell in there. That's a tough one. You're telling all humanity there's hell. Hell is the worst thing imaginable. As a matter of fact, it is so bad it's unimaginable. It's eternal. It never rests. You die every day but never die. The pain is, is beyond anything you can imagine. Oh, when I get to hell, I'm going to party with my friends. No, you will not. There's no party, there's no friends. Everything that God is, hell isn't. Everything hell is, God isn't. God is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and beauty and truth and love. Hell is the opposite. Sickness, sadness, sorrow, weeping, gnashing of teeth, pain. The, the, the fires never quench, the worm never rests. It is vile. You say, why would a God of love ever? He, he didn't create it for mankind. We chose to go there when we obeyed Satan's word instead of God's. We, we were created with a choice. Did God really say, questioning his truth? If you eat this, you're going to be like God. You'll know good and evil. Pride filled us. Eve ate, but so did Adam. Adam. Adam chose the apple and his wife over obedience to God. And in this, sin entered. 
Man begins to murder. Corruption comes in. We get to learn how to lie and how to hide and how to suppress the truth with a lie. We didn't have to teach our children the word no. It's funny. Children know when they've done something wrong. They go and they hide in the corner. And here this happens. And the Lord looks and he says, I'm patient and long-suffering. I want that none of you would perish, but that all would be saved. I've come that you might have life, and life more abundant. I, I want to I resolve this curse that you've brought upon yourself. I am a just God, but I'm merciful too. I'll pay the penalty because the wages of sin, dying you will surely die. I'm, I'm going to die in your place, and you receive by faith the gift of God, and you're saved by grace through faith. I'll pay that penalty, but you receive it by an acknowledgement of your will to say, God, I want to live for you. I want to be whole, integer, whole number. I want to be unified. I will be duplicitous, but I want my life to count for you. And God says, come to me, all you are burdened, heavy laden. Where you see this, you don't want it. And others say, I don't want you. I don't need you. You're screwing it up. We need to remove you from the equation. And now you have two ideologies. One a world without God and one embracing God. One accountable, one not. And we look at this and we say, well, truth is what man makes it to be. Interesting. I, I think in California alone, I, I understand environment. I, I love that we're environmentally minded. I mean, we've outlawed plastic straws because we, we don't want sea animals, sea creatures to be affected. But yet we allow hypodermic needles of 70,000 homeless to flow out to the Pacific Ocean with fecal matter as they're living there, 50% increase, and we don't use plastic bags in our supermarkets or you have to pay for them if you get them, and the homeless used to use those to defecate. Now we don't have those and it's just on the street and it's flowing out. That is an environmental disaster, but we, thank God I got a paper straw last night in the restaurant. <laughs> we, we, have, we have police officers, typhus, this is the dark ages. And you wonder, where's the answer? Poverty is the highest it's ever been in California. Homelessness, we lead the nation. Schools are 45th. And we're, we're stepping in to make a difference, and yet you host an event here, and you're ostracized and ridiculed publicly. And I think... What are you afraid of? We are a peculiar people, granted, that we believe there's a God who governs in the affairs of men and that our, our lives are accountable to him as are our children's lives. And, and we actually believe in a constitutional republic where we have the freedom of religion, not freedom from religion, and that we're able to participate and dwell with our conscience, not just in our churches, but in the community in which we live, and somehow that is not acceptable? Truth is truth even if no one believes it. And a lie is a lie even if everyone believes it. Romans chapter 1 says, Therefore God also gave them up to their uncleanness and lust of their heart to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. And so this apparatus of government will silence the voice of anyone who declares there's a God and we're accountable to him. And this is a dangerous time to be alive. This nation was in a dangerous moment where the greatest nation on the face of the earth that had just defeated the second greatest nation on the face of the earth, this upstart group of 13 colonies decides to take on this massive nation, Britain, Great, uh, Great Britain, England. And these upstarts decided to say we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. 243 years under the same birth certificate, they write these words, and it's written to all mankind, not just for America, and it was a declaration of the pursuit of truth that a government structure would be designed that people could contend for truth in healthy public debate right and left, oh, by the way, the right doesn't have all the answers, and neither does the left. It's that center aisle, welcome, it's that center aisle that allows us to come to an understanding, and we pursue truth. 
And as they wrote these words for all mankind to declare that rights don't come from man but from God, that's dangerous. It's so dangerous that when Jesus was going through Luke chapter 12 and he was sharing with them and he talks about this man who comes to him and says to the Lord, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus says, who made me an arbiter between you and him? Take heed and beware of covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. We think life is the accumulation of things. But it's to stand for truth. We're on this earth to make it better for generations to come, not for our accumulation of wealth. Wealth isn't bad. But if it's for our comfort and not for the purpose of defending and advancing the truth, we're in trouble. And Jesus, as this man was addressing him, told the parable of the rich man whose ground yielded plentifully. He says, I'm gonna tear down my barns and build more barns and I'm gonna store up crops and I'll say to my soul, soul, take, you have many goods laid up for many years, take ease, eat, drink, and be merry. God said, fool. The Lord called this man a fool. What he was saying is, I don't have to contend with truth. I don't have to participate in all this shenanigans that's going on. And, and I, 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 don't have to, I don't need to do this. It's, it's conflicting. I've got enough in my generation to take care of me and my family and we're good. Well, that's, that's not why God gave it to us. He says, you're going to be rich in the things of the world, but poor in the things of God. You're a fool. This night your soul will be required of you. You're going to have to stand before the Lord and give an accounting of your life. As soon as he finishes this teaching, he goes into Luke 13, and in Luke 13, an amazing part of it is he's teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and there's a woman who had a spirit of infirmity for 18 years. She was bent over and, and she could in no way raise herself up. And when Jesus saw her, he called to her and he said to her, woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. And the rulers of the synagogue answered with indignation because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And he said to the crowd, there are six days on which men ought to work. Therefore, come and be healed on them and not on the Sabbath day. And the Lord then answered him and said, hypocrite, Your law may say this, but your law is wrong. I don't care if you want to say there's 167 genders, your law is wrong. In the beginning, God created the male and female. And he says, hypocrite, does not each one of you on the Sabbath lose his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it away to water it? So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, who's Satan is bound, think of it, for 18 years be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath. And when he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame and all the multitudes rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. And then he said, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It's like a mustard seed. And he goes through this picture of, of this, this tree that is infected by these large birds. And then he talks about leaven in this again. And they're both this description of the fear of man will destroy the church. And he goes on to say that the way is narrow. And there are few who would be saved because they want to know who can then be saved. And he says to all of them, that in this place of hell there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. He says, and the first will be last and the last will be first. And as he preaches this message that there's a God and we will be accountable to him and to each other and when we breathe our last we'll stand before him and you have two choices. You can fear man and store up yourself something that's gonna make your life comfortable on this earth, or you can fear God and contend for culture no matter what it costs you. And he goes through this entire teaching, and at the conclusion of it, one of these Pharisees who was moved by his teaching comes up to him in verse 31 of chapter 13, and he said to him, you need to get out and depart from here. Herod wants to kill you. The Pharisees moved and wants to protect him. He says, Herod's gonna come kill you, you gotta go. Everything Jesus said is coming to fruition. They're gonna kill me. But what did he say? He says, don't, be, don't fear the man who can kill the body. Fear the one 
who will destroy the, the soul. He said to them, go and tell that fox, Herod, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and on the third day I shall be perfected. Nevertheless, I must journey today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish outside of Jerusalem. He lays this out, and he says, I'm not worried about dying. Contending for truth in a culture that has rejected it is dangerous. But don't worry. You can move to another state. Your housing prices here will allow you to live somewhere else. And you can store up enough just to get through. We don't have to worry about the decline. It's not your problem anymore. Forget about generations to come. It's not your problem. Don't worry about being accountable to God, accountable to each other, and leaving it better than you found it. Don't worry about that. Don't, don't plant trees of whose shade you'll never see. Don't be forward thinking. The rapture's coming. Just run up debt and go stand on a hill. Pfft, gone. We wouldn't have been here for 243 years had one in nine Americans decided to write a document that would transform the world and create the greatest government the world has ever seen where more freedom and liberty and truth has come forward than at any other time in all of history. And you know what it cost them? They weren't afraid of man. They wrote at the conclusion of that article for the support of this declaration with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, God, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. We're not afraid. We're not afraid. I'm not afraid of what man can do to me. Make fun of me, ridicule me, threaten to kill me. All you're doing is threatening me with heaven. God hasn't given me a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. And the world is trapped, and the only people who can set them free is by a fear of the Lord. And they'll never know a fear of the Lord unless we live in such a way as to acknowledge that we're not afraid of man. We honor God. None of these things move me. None of them. And that's the key that opens up the fear of the Lord as the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. And as we watch the decline of any any representation of a creator in any of our vestiges of government, that, that you have the audacity to speak of a creator, that you would mix church and state, what is your problem? And yet the Lord is saying, that's why we're here. 12 and 13, read them on your own. And to do that is dangerous. And I'll confess, at times you get scared. You know, my dad died with nothing and so did my mom. They didn't have any debt, but they didn't leave us anything. From the world's perspective, My mom and dad left us character, courage, conviction. It's an expensive state to live in. Five kids is costly. They all know I'm leaving them nothing. except for what my parents left me. Character, courage, and conviction. And I'm proud of them. My boys are twice the men I'd ever be. My girls are amazing. My grandkids. I'll tell you a secret, but you can't tell Oliver. And I, I say that jokingly, but seriously, please don't. He, he's, he's in commercials. He just got a two-year gig with Chase Bank. He's four. He doesn't even know he's in commercials because he thinks he's going on a play date. 
And, and they got his picture off of Instagram and Molly was on there and they wanted the, and, they, and he's done a, a number of really cool things. And they got a Coogan account and they just put it in there as college is paid for and, and, um, and they, they went to an audition for Chase and Chase called and said, this will be the shoot date. Well, that's the first day of his school, his brand new Christian school. And Molly and Micah had purpose that God would always be first in everything they did. If they're going to make an inroad into this cultural mountain of influence of arts and entertainment, they're not compromising because they're going to push you until you compromise and there's nothing left of your faith and your conviction. And they said, we won't be able to make the shoot date. We're sorry. And they said, well, did you put that on the, the non-avail sheet? And they said, no, we didn't, but it, we're busy. Three kids. We're their foster parents. Sorry it slipped, but and we know that this is a problem and we apologize. And you do that in this industry, you're out. And Michelle and I, and you think we're men and women of strong spine, Michelle and I were like, what did you do? (laughs) But God's wisdom and our fear of God, the Lord spoke to both of us not to say anything to Molly and Micah. That may be our opinion as parents, but God said, don't say a word. We didn't. And to their credit, they, they said, we can't make it. And they called and they said, well, we've canceled the other folks who wanted to interview. We do want Oliver. Just bring him. What day can you come? God honors that. That's how it works. And I needed that lesson, and those two taught me. And I say that because we are men and women of duplicitous stature. We want to be whole we want to be integritous, but certainly we need to avoid hypocrisy, and hypocrisy is a fear of man, and the fear of God is what will change culture. But if you look at life as your comfort, be careful. Possessions on this earth make you poor with the things of God. Not that being rich is wrong, But if your comfort and your ease is your concern and not generations to come, there's there's no remnant in our culture of God in any of the political and governmental edifices and in our schools. What are we going to do about that? You could move to a place that still has some of it but it'll follow you. You're playing whack-a-mole. They're suppressing the truth. It's popping up here and popping up there and you're just hitting it and hitting it. But you want to contend for the next generation. You want to serve children you'd never know, just as our founders did, that you would enjoy 243 years of liberty, but we're the generation that doesn't want to do it for the next 243 years. We would rather move than fight. We would rather have ease than challenge. Not many people know this woman. She's beautiful, young, and beautiful, old. She died in 2007, I believe. She was raised by godly parents in Poland. She said, my parents taught me that if a man is drowning, it is irrelevant what is his religion or nationality, one must help him. She would go on later to write of the things I've read about her life, that all men have been created in the image of God, and they're to be protected. Every time I go to Israel, when people go for the tour of Yad Vashem and they go into the Holocaust Museum, which I visited a number of times, why the group is on that tour, I go for a private walk to visit two sites and their trees planted in the memory of one, Corey Tenboom, and the other of this woman, Irina Sendler. She's an amazing lady. She was up for the Nobel Peace Prize in 2007, no, 2008, I think. No, 2007. And she lost to Al Gore. 
In the course of her life, her achievement went largely unnoticed. And then the story was uncovered by four young high school students at Uniontown High School in Kansas. They were winners of the 2000 Kansas State National History Day competition, and they wrote a play called Life in a Jar about the heroic actions of Irina Sendler. No one would have ever have known about her. And you know, she never did what she did for your approval. She took on an apparatus that the world marveled at and submitted to, Nazi Germany. She was fearless, fearless. Never questioned the call upon her life. Here's a video, take a look at this woman and be blessed. Irena Sandler was a Polish Catholic nurse who worked in Warsaw during the Nazi occupation of Poland and saved 2,500 Jewish children from certain death. During that time, she worked for the Warsaw Social Services. After the creation of the Warsaw Ghetto, Irena Sandler was able to save many children by smuggling them out of the ghetto to save them from being deported to the concentration camps. She transported the children in ambulances as if they were sick from typhus, hid them in a trash cans, tool chests, supply boxes or coffins, and later put them in convents and Polish Catholic families. She created an archive with the real identities of the children, so one day they could be reunited with their family members. She wrote on a strip of paper the Jewish names of the children with the new Polish name and addresses where they were taken. All of them she put in a jar, which she buried by a tree in a garden. In 1943, she was detained by the Gestapo and taken to prison, where she was brutally tortured. She never betrayed her mission, and she was sentenced to death. But a soldier freed her thanks to the intervention from the Polish resistance. At the end of the war, she was able to recover her archives, although most of the families of children she saved had died in concentration camps. In 1965, the organization Yed Vashem in Jerusalem granted her the title Righteous Among the Nations. During last year of her life, she received thanks from many children she had saved and was nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize. And to będę głosiła, że najważniejsze jest dobro. Did anyone see um, the HBO series Chernobyl? If you did, would you raise your hand? If you haven't seen it, you need to especially the fifth episode. Chernobyl nuclear plant was basically a nuclear explosion. And in the fifth episode, the recap is the scientist begins to declare to the Soviet Union at the time what had transpired and the result of this explosion was directly a result of suppressing the truth. And you can't suppress the truth. And this entire reactor exploded like a nuclear weapon. And to this day, it was the Soviet Union, but today it's declared Russia. To this day, they still say only 31 people died when the likelihood is there was over 100,000 that died. They said that there wasn't an explosion as you see this plume begin to travel to the western continents the god who controls the wind allowed this to travel where in sweden they would pick it up on their on their geiger counters and they would say this is a nuclear explosion and they're saying no it doesn't exist no it didn't happen it's a small leak and radiation would be all over the western european world and they'd have to declare in front of the media and they'd have to suppress it and they had this apparatus of the soviet union keeping this secret and suppressing the truth with a lie. 
And the conclusion of it was so fascinating because every single nuclear reactor at the time in Russia, you had a button you could press when everything went bad. And if you press that button, the, the, the nuclear rods would drop in and it would shut down the entire system. But because of the way of its design, the flaw, and only a select few knew, when you press that button, the entire thing would explode because of the way they had made it with cheap material. And he stood in front of the scientists and he declared these things and, and his, his closing statement was something along the lines of this. He said, when the truth offends, we lie and lie until we can no longer remember the truth is even there. Truth will always be there and every lie we tell incurs a debt to the truth. Sooner or later, that debt comes due and must be paid. When you fear man, you lie. When you fear God, you're honest. Because all things are laid bare before the eyes of God. And the fear of God is the beginning of knowledge. Jesus said of himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He laid this out and he said, there is a heaven and a hell, but it's accessible to all mankind. He said, I'm the key. I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. I have died in your place. I have paid the penalty. I'm merciful and I'm just. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The Word became flesh and dwelt with man. Jesus is the Word. He's the way. He's the truth. And he declares to mankind, I will make you whole. I will reconcile you. I will take your duplicity and cause you to be one. You can do this or you can be hypocritical and suppress this truth and control everything and you can have an entire Nazi machinery where the world bows and submits and I've just finished reading this book of what happened with England and Chamberlain and the likes that the entire Western continent submitted to this, this despotic ruler. But Irina stands in opposition. One woman, 2,500 kids. And you think, oh, she didn't make a dent. Oh, yes, she did. We're not celebrating Hitler here today. She didn't ask for you to remember her, but her name will never be forgotten. It's inspiring. She didn't win a Nobel Peace Prize, but who's Al what? I mean, global warming, with the, the, but yet the president he served with now bought a house on the water. That's how detrimental this global warming and rising seas are. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He was exclusive because no one could pay the penalty except for God, and he did. He's not a capricious God. He doesn't want you in hell. No one spoke more of hell than Jesus because he didn't want anyone to go there, and he put a big barrier himself, and he says, please don't. Believe in your heart. Confess with your tongue that I'm Lord. I'm God, Jesus saying. You'll be saved. My blood will cover the remission of your sins. We'll be right again. You'll be a child of the truth, and the truth will set you free. You'll no longer be afraid of man. You'll be passing through this earth. You'll not be concerned with creature comforts as much as you will be for declaring the truth that the world would know. You'll be my disciple. You won't be afraid. I wasn't afraid. Jesus said, I can do nothing of my own. I and my Father are one. Abide in me and I will abide in you. You'll bear much fruit. That fruit will be truth. You won't have a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. The key is the fear of God. And the fear is to realize I have offended him, but he has forgiven me, and that forgiveness is in his son. That's the key. That's the key of knowledge. That's the key to abandon hypocrisy and embrace truth. There was a debt to be paid, no doubt. And I'll close with this. There was a debt to be paid, no doubt. The wages of sin is death. And this God whom we fear, who loves us with an everlasting love, and though we abandoned him and walked from him, and declared that we will be like him and we can be our own God. 
He finally looked and he said, you've suppressed the truth long enough and the debt is due and the clock is ticking and it's appointed once for man to die, then judgment. And I do not want you separated from me for all eternity. While you're on this earth, I want to be reconciled to you. I've given you myself. And you say, God, you don't know what I've done. You don't, you don't understand. You can't forgive me. Yes, I can, God says. Nothing can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, except for your hypocrisy. That's where you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, where you reject the prodding that is upon your heart right now. His word is spoken to you. You understand these things intellectually. You've embraced them. The Holy Spirit is calling you to give your life to him. But he's a gentleman. He won't force you. You don't come by fear of man. You recognize, God, I've offended you, but you've forgiven me. And that forgiveness is in your son, that blood must be shed, and, and you're just and you're merciful. And I'm on the slave block of sin, and I want to suppress the truth and say that my sin is real and that your, your life is wrong and that there's not two genders, there's 167, and, I, and I, I, I want to make my own world apart from you, and if I can just shut these people up, I will be fine. Are you tired yet? How long do we play this game? Whack-a-mole. He's ready to forgive the multitude of our sin. As we're on the slave block of sin, God says, are you ready? For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for the many. As Irina Sendler faced the persecution and the beating of the Nazis, she didn't have her own interests at heart. She had the 2,500 children she saved. And she reflected the heart of the God who's here today to say to you, I left the glory of heaven's throne to be crucified. And I wasn't afraid of Herod. I wasn't afraid of crucifixion and beating. I bled on that cross to keep you from hell. I don't want you to walk in hypocrisy and a lie and suppress the truth with a lie. I want you to come to the truth that you would know the truth and the truth would set you free. Come to me, the Lord says, all who are burdened and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. That's the beauty of the passage. Now, I will tell you this, and this is the last thing. A call to Christ is a call to truth. To embrace it and to live for it. It's not about big barns. It's about changed lives. And a commitment for generations to come that we would live for that principle and that great and noble calling. I say that to you because this is a peculiar group of folks in this church. I'm, I, I say that in all sincerity that I'm blessed by you. Every Sunday after I see articles in the paper, I'm thinking, there'll probably be five people in church this week. And you guys are gluttons for punishment. And you keep coming. And you're committed. You stand for these principles. And you apply them in all the areas that you've been planted in this community. I'm humbled to be your pastor. I'm grateful for this fellowship. God is good, and I thank him for his word for us today.